The Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet you get with Caesar Rewards. Must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Mini Kime Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast. One of the th- hosts thinks Pat isn't just the name of the Chiefs quarterback. It's also what he'd like you to do to his tummy. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. Uh, I started with a different joke that I did. because An awful <laughs> joke that I wanted the listener to hear. And so I implored you to keep it in, but you wouldn't do it. Uh, it involves the name of the football team in Washington, the president's yeah. dog who, yeah, well, you can kind of go yeah. from there. I don't even yeah. know if he's still the president's dog. He didn't even bite too many people. I don't. I have not kept up. You on didn't that. follow that. Uh, is okay. that Isaiah Pacheco of the White House? <laughs> Dan Campbell would love him. Um, yeah. Okay. Speaking of Dan Campbell, we're going to start by talking about coaches. I'm joined by Ooh. Kevin Clark. I should start there. Hi. Actually, I was too obsessed with the segue. Uh, Kevin Clark, the host of This Is Football, also previous guest on this podcast, a great guest uh, to have this week as we preview two excellent championship games. But before we get to previewing those games. Um, there's a lot of coaching news. You're always yeah. really great with coaching news generally and just reacting to news. So I wanted to hear your thoughts on some of the things that have happened over the last few days. Honestly, by the time this podcast comes out, I don't know, Bill Belichick might be the coach of the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> so something the, crazy the, might happen. University of Michigan coach Bill Belichick. Yes, absolutely. Interesting. Um, the things that actually have happened thus far, we are yeah. taping right now. Uh, Nick Sirianni gave his press conference uh, sort of moot point, but we, I think it was already evident that he was keeping his job. Mm. Uh, all the coordinators mm. are gone. All of them. All Zai, of them. Patricia, Brian Johnson. I did see a clip of a reporter. I don't know who it is asking Nick Sirianni, what is your job? What do you do Which, here? Yeah, do you was, do here? And, do you know, funny. and also the funnier part is that he said, I'm going to be the head coach ellipsis of the football <laughs> team. Which football team? I don't. Uh, uh, well, it, it was interesting that this coincided with the uh, surprising news yeah. that the Miami Dolphins had moved on from their defensive coordinator, Vic Fangio. Um, immediately, people connected some dots. There's a lot of speculation that Fangio, uh, who was a consultant with the Eagles yep. during the Super Bowl season, might become the defensive coordinator of the Eagles. So I thought we should start there before we get to Callahan and then maybe briefly touch on the remaining jobs. Yeah. Um, I, first of all, but I do want to say, uh, I put out a video today on YouTube, youtube.com slash at with our buddies, Nate Tice and Chris Long talking about how to fix the Eagles. Like what Ooh. needs to be done. Nate focused yeah. on the offense, Chris focused on defense. We don't have to get into all of that. That is obviously a very long conversation that will be had many times over the offseason. But they do have to hire someone. Do you think the Fangio hire makes sense? And also, were you were you as surprised as some people that Miami parted ways with him? Yeah, I mean, I think that Vic Fangio is better than a Vic Fangio impersonator. So let's start there. Um, for the Eagles, that's, that's a good move. Um, I was surprised because there was literally no chatter. There was no like, yeah. you know, a co- you're normally like on, if this is going to happen, like on December 20th, someone says, oh, there could be, you know, it could be looking elsewhere. There could be any leaks like this. This came out of nowhere. This is a true holy crap type of announcement from the Dolphins this afternoon. Um, so I was, I was surprised by it. I was also surprised at the Ian Rappaport report that Brandon Staley could be a candidate. That's um, a downgrade yeah. in my opinion. Um that's he's one of the he's from the Fangio tree. So he's from the Fangio tree. He's a, a aforementioned Fangio impersonator, um, a worse version of Fangio, um, a 
guy who I, I think you always have to, there's two types of sort of uh, head coaches, fallen head coaches. Um, and one of them is the grinder just trying to say, Hey, I'm back to my roots. I'm going to do this. And one is maybe like overqualified and, and like goes in a tailspin a little bit. I have no idea what Brandon Saley is going to be, but you always have to sort of self scout for that personality wise. It's a lot of a Reddit energy in that, in that coach's room. If you have McDaniel and Staley. Um, but I think that, I'd rather have Vic Fangio would be the is the best DC in my opinion on the market. Um, and the Eagles got him and the Dolphins lost it. And I, I don't know how else you could spin that. Is that the least physically intimidating coach? No, there's some really old, old coordinators. <laughs> Although some of those old defensive coordinators. Yeah, the old have guys, like that's old man. I know. Like every time every time there's stories now about potential hires, they show Wink Martindale's picture and I like visibly flinch, flinch every time they show it. <laughs> Looks like he's about to just bounce through the screen and blitz me. Well, well let, me, let me ask you, how would you rate Fangio's performance last yeah. year? I so thought it was okay. I thought it was okay. So, yeah, that that's kind of what I, I was thinking through when I saw the news because uh, the Dolphins, first of all, they were very they, – they started off the season injured. They didn't have um, – Jalen Ramsey, Ramsey. who was yeah, gone for the most, most of the season. And, and then, then every pass rusher. And then, yes. So at, at, at the half from the half point through the playoffs was like a steady stream of attrition. And I actually thought it was in that part of the season that the defense played their best football. And I was the mm -hmm. most impressed by Fangio, including in the postseason when the defense is not the reason that they lost. Yeah. Um, so I, I actually thought, you know, it took them a while clearly to um, coalesce as a unit. Mm -hmm. And this is something we always hear with Fangio defenses. They're complicated. Yeah. Um, year two is normally the leap year if right. you look at, the, look, look at some of the data Which in the past. Which is part of the reason why I'm surprised. Because, again, I thought, oh, by the yeah. end of this defense, I thought or the season, they were playing really well. So I thought, okay, they can ride that into next year and guys will come back and be healthy. So... The, the I think it would have better to keep him personally, but I, I agree. And if you're Vic Fangio, maybe there was some philosophical disagreement with Mike McDaniel that's, or I bet that's or, it. or the, uh, the the talent there, whatever. I'd much rather be in Miami. I can guarantee you Mike McDaniel will be the head coach of the Miami yeah. Dolphins in 2025. I don't know if Sirianni is going to be the coach on October 10th of 2024. Um, and maybe that's. Maybe that's maybe part that's of it. Maybe, maybe Vic, yeah. yeah, maybe Vic wants to ride again. Um, but I, I'm just saying, situationally, it's it's pre it's pre fired there. It's pre it's going to be toxic from day one of training camp. They asked yeah. again. They asked the coach what he does today. Today on January 24th, the season doesn't start for nine months. What's going to happen on August 3rd? Well, also from Fangio's perspective, we've talked about this a lot. This is something Chris and I got into on the in the video I referenced that defense has a lot of holes. So from a talent yeah. perspective, I think he's downgrading and the challenge is greater. That said, the bar is hell right now for that defense. So uh, he can certainly benefit from that as well. Um, I, it makes sense to me for Philadelphia, you know, just looking at it from their yes, standpoint. Uh, yeah. Um, speaking of Vic Fangio impersonators, he looks to me like a Jeff, uh, Jeffrey Tambor is the name of the actor mm. uh, who arrested development, right? Every time I look at him, I see yeah. that, that actor. That's his name, right? Mm. Yeah. The, yeah. 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 Um, okay. So that's that's surprising. That's the big news. Um, we'll see where the chips fall, who Miami goes for. There's a lot of one side effect of all of these head coaches 
changing jobs is it means there's a lot of coordinators floating around because normally mm-hmm. you wouldn't, you know, see a guy like Shane Waldron, for example, make right. what is a lateral move going from being an offensive coordinator in Seattle to an offensive coordinator in Chicago, but they fired P. Carroll and his whole staff is basically in, you know, currently being turned over. So that opens up those guys um, for jobs that otherwise they wouldn't. I do want to hit that quickly because, you know, it's all a bunch of Bears fans asked me about it. I think he's a good coach. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I don't think he is the reason why we saw this revival from Geno Smith, quite frankly. Um, but I do think that he was pretty creative when it came to his use of formations and personnels. I thought the offense, um, especially, you know, it, there were stretches where I thought what he was doing both in the pass and the run was really well tailored to the players he had. I did get a little bit frustrated in this this season for long stretches when it felt like they were kind of abandoning the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll just be curious. But, but it, I, what's interesting for me, Kevin, is not looking at the Seahawks offense and asking what's translating. What's interesting is saying, does this have any bearing on what they're going to do at quarterback? And I don't mean the question of moving on from Justin Fields, which increasingly feels like a foregone conclusion. We'll see. But like, which of the quarterbacks in the draft? Like, do you hire Shane Waldron? Like, you know, you you and I both though in that interview, they probably asked him about Kayla Williams, and you know, I mean, like, just and is he the right coordinator for him? I think that is something that they had to figure out in Chicago, which means they also had to have have to have a pretty strong sense of what they want to do with the position. Yeah, um, I'm intrigued to see how this how this goes with with Caleb. Um, I had Matt Castle on my show today um, when this when this drops, and we talked a little bit about that. And like Caleb, like most college quarterbacks, held onto the ball for a long time. He's gonna have to get, um, and that's true. Like it, it's funny because I was looking to ding uh, Caleb before this season. And I was like, man, he th- he holds onto the ball for a long time. And I was watching Drake May too. They both hold onto the ball long. And my theory on this is that it's a generation of quarterbacks, not just these guys, but a generation mm. of quarterbacks who have never been punished for holding onto the ball too long. Zoomers, they, yeah, zoom, <laughs> zoomers. Zoomer culture only, strikes again. Only '90s kids knows what it knows what it's like to get just driven into <laughs> artificial turf in 1999. <laughs> Uh, well, these so, they think they can hold on to it for 3.3 seconds yeah, and nothing's yeah. going to happen to it. There won't and be so, any consequences. I was watching tape um, of him and I was like, God, he's got to get rid of the ball. So I went back and looked at recent quarterbacks and how long they held onto the ball. And literally going into this season in his college career, Caleb Williams had the exact same time to throw as Patrick Mahomes. So it's just different. Like, well, you know, you, but, but isn't that again, like a zoomer thing where they're like, Oh, I can do what Patrick and Lamar do. <laughs> and it's like, maybe you can't though. Maybe you can a little overconfidence. Uh, these parents need to tell them no more often is what I'm hearing. These guys, the these, all the quarterbacks, all the college quarterbacks just stand back there and pat the ball. And it's like, I know they can get away with it in college, but it's like in the pro. It's you just might not so be hard. Patrick Mahomes. You might not be Patrick Mahomes. You might not be. Wait, Someone Patrick in your life needs I, to tell them that. Patrick Doherty and I were joking today on the pod about how we keep saying we need a Mahomes, like to you know to compete or whatever. And I think mm-hmm. the answer is just have Mahomes. There is no like we're getting to the point now, which is like you have to have Patrick Mahomes in order to win the Super Bowl. There's no yeah. a Mahomes type. It's just mm. one person. So anyway, to answer your question, like <laughs> I um I don't know. 
if you necessarily like i thought the cliff kingsbury caleb williams thing might have ended in disaster that's just too much familiarity i don't think like making so I, I think we overrate making someone comfortable early unless they've they're starting to trend towards bust um i think you just hire the right guy and then you just figure yes. it out if you hire a flexible enough mind you don't have to do square peg round hole um and and i think that they're they'll they'll, they'll be fine with waldron and and, and that that sort of infrastructure there. I, I'm more concerned about the talent around him. Let me uh, edit what I said about Shane Waldron. Uh, Bears fans, he has the distinct advantage of being capital and not Cliff Kingsbury, because that was rumored at one point. That could could have gotten so much worse. Um, so you, you, you never that. you never have to imply to Bears fans or clarify that it could have been worse because they know. <laughs> they know that it could have been worse. They've seen it. You would not believe the things they've seen. It could be worse. You're right. Um, okay. One more hire. Uh, Brian Callahan, mm. the uh, Bengals offensive coordinator, who did not call plays. That was Zach yeah. Taylor, uh, is, was hired by the Titans. It's kind of, it, it was an interesting one, interesting piece of news for me because it was presented as both, this is out of left field and they had to move fast because it, a bunch of yeah. teams wanted Brian Callahan. And, and, and that it sounded like they had him in mind the entire time. Which I had sure. not heard. Yeah, yeah I don't know. It's a lot of smoke right now. Let's just ignore the uh, smoke around it and talk about sure. the coach because you know, you know, you you kind of know yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I spent a long time interviewing him on the record, and one of the amazing things about him is on the record and, and off the record, there's there's no difference. He's very um, blunt and thoughtful about the game of football, and I, I think that you're going to get a level of communication in Tennessee that is uh, frankly unparalleled. I, I, he's my favorite coordinator to visit with, um, mm. and. What I spent a long time talking to him about the last three years, um, the first part, and I, each one kind of explains his philosophy. The first time we talked was going into Burrow's second year, and he basically detailed that he wanted Burrow to empower Burrow to be in Peyton Manning mode, what he called, um, which is basically let the quarterback run the offense. And obviously that doesn't yeah. mean like literally just have him do the playbook, but like empower him to change the culture of the franchise, to have a say in everything. And, and frankly, I mean, this is it's the technical term for let him cook. And the second year we were talking about the deep passes. And a lot of that was tying back to the Peyton Manning mode where he would say, where Burrow would say, hey, Dan literally in, in one case, unfortunately, sorry, Daniel Sorensen, but Daniel Sorensen can't cover me, uh, can't cover Jamar Chase. Let's just spam that. And that I, I think. Daniel Sorensen. Yeah, I, well, some people didn't. Um, and those people <laughs> all live in Kansas City. Um, and so. The and in Cincinnati, um, and so there was a level of communication between quarterback and coordinator I thought was absolutely elite. But now yeah. I think the support. So the the most recent conversation we had was about how they defeated or or came to defeat a lot of the two high looks in, in the NFL. And one of the things I found really fascinating what Callahan told me about their plan and their support structure for Burrow, which is something borrowed from Peyton Manning, which is teams sell out and change their identity against Joe Burrow. Like literally, like he told me a story about two years ago where D'Amico Ryans, they installed a Tampa two scheme they'd never seen on film before for Joe mm -hmm. Burrow in San Francisco. And so what they had to do is they basically have a bunch of different buckets of game plans, depending on what the defense is going to look at. So if you're going to play the Ravens, the Ravens might just come up with something you've never seen before. So they're going to say, Oh my God, it's a Tampa two game. Boom. We have a Tampa two playbook. Oh, it's going to be uh one high boom. We have a one high playbook. Like they had, they basically had to come up with multiple different game plans every single week. And it sounded like they were adaptable. They were flexible. 
Burrow seemed like he loved it and was comfortable. Um, so I, when I hear that, I think of a guy who's who's just there to support his quarterback, which is literally the number one requirement of a coach in in, in 2024. So I can't say if this is going to work. Um, thoughtfulness to me is nothing other than the communication will be good. Like I can tell, like there've been certain times, like I remember talking to Freddie kitchens and, and ask him the kind of questions I'd ask Brian Callahan and kitchens would be like, yeah, I don't know, I don't know, man. And I was like, Oh, I don't know. Either he's like kind of a jerk, which he wasn't, or he's not putting a lot of thought into this stuff. And so I think interviews can be overrated sometimes as a, a gleaning of a personality. But what I can say is that like Brian Callahan uh, knows ball and knows mm. how to support his quarterback. Yeah. I think, for Tennessee, the two most th – look, there's so many things that go into being a head coach in terms of management, leadership, hiring, communication, all of it, that I'm always uh, reticent to say anything definitive about hires when they happen. Um, but I think for Tennessee, it, it's very obvious that the two most important things is offseason are to help your quarterback because mm -hmm. it, it does seem like they're going to ride with Will Levis and to fix the offensive line. And along those lines, this hire does seem to satisfy those requirements, or it seems on its face to. Um, well, so uh, Brian Callahan's dad, Bill Callahan, is like Big one Bill. of the greatest offensive line coaches of all time. I assume he's going to come with him. I don't know. That hasn't so pa been... Paul Diener from the Bengals beat said the other day that he that Bill, Brian has said he wants his dad to coach with him one day. But that's not that's the only like evidence is that what? he used to he has said many times he wants his dad to coach with him. Big Bill should uh play hardball in negotiations Just, uh, with his oh kid. My God. Dude, negotiations are <laughs> Can broken. You imagine? Down. Walk away from the negotiating table. Okay. Well, the other thing though is it, separate from that, you know, Cincinnati definitely had their challenges from a personnel standpoint with offensive yeah. line play over the years. And that is certainly the case in Tennessee. And then from the quarterbacking standpoint, um, Everything you said about Burrow really uh, hits home. But I, I was really, really impressed as a University of Washington fan from what I saw out of Jake Browning this year. And I've talked about this. I did not think that dude could play in the NFL. And he made me look stupid. Yeah. Um, I thought he played very well. Not like I'm not, I don't think he should be like a starter, I'm saying. But again, relative to expectations. He belongs in the league, as they say. Uh, and I thought also that him. He's a and, guy. He's a dude. He's, he, he's, he's a, a dude. dude. He is yeah. a dude. He's definitely uh, a dude. And I thought uh, Taylor and Callahan did an excellent job of rejiggering the offense around him. Like that, that very first game when he like went off um, as a starter, you know, yeah. I, again, I had such low hopes in part because the Joe Burrow offense that you alluded to put so much on the shoulders of the quarterback, right? You just ask, you're yeah. sitting in the gun and he is masterminding that thing. So, and I was well, like, there's there, there no a, way, okay. no way uh, Jake Browning can do that. Then he shows up and it's a totally different offense. The, this, the RPOs, the boots, the ball's coming out quick. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like they they did the thing. They they did the thing we want all coaches to do, which is to call an offense actually based on the players in the field. So I thought that augured very well for Callahan. This sounds so reductive, but somebody put it to me this way. The, the, the Bengals are the world's best maintenance workers of a supercomputer. And so like mm. Joe Burrow is the one who's saying like, okay, we want to do this, we want to do this, we want to do this, we want to visualize this. We want to go out with Burrow. And I've had two conversations with him in my life, but like he wants guys out into routes. He wants five mm. out into routes. Like he's going to yeah. design the themes of the offense. And what the Bengals are really good at is either finding LSU concepts or finding the concepts that blended well with them. And so I could not have been more impressed with Brian Callahan and, and, and listen, Zach Taylor, let's not overlook the fact that Zach Taylor yeah, does right. all the plays. Like who, but yeah. the thing, the thing I've always said is like, 
the first, there's a lot of franchises that would not let a franchise changer work. And, and the Bengals were just like, this guy is special. Let's let him like, if you're ever in that locker room, all that stuff, you understand this is, this is Joe Burrow's franchise. We'll see what happens. I mean, I'm curious to see what kind of offense he calls for Will Levis because it's not that offense. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Will Levis does have his strengths. I've talked about them. Uh, last bit of thing I want to discuss you. So just wrapping out the coaching, there's still a lot of jobs open. Yeah. The Chargers, the Seahawks, the Falcons, the Commanders, and the Panthers. So that's five jobs still open right now. I want to wildly speculate with you. Ooh. Let's just do it. Let's just try to like wildly pick who at this point, and this is going to be totally wrong. Probably some of them are definitely going to yeah. be wrong. Where we think these teams might go. I think we both agree. It looks like Harbaugh to the chargers is kind of a done deal. It does. So well, that one, it, I don't like, he, I guess he, it was reported within an hour that he was going to interview in Atlanta. Then he wasn't going to interview in Atlanta, which is normally like a leak Money. in order to get them to be like, yeah. don't get on that plane. Don't leave the building. Yeah. So that, that seems, seems done. So then you're looking at the Seahawks, the Falcons, the commanders and the Panthers. Well, let's start with Atlanta. It was like, it seemed like there was a lot of Belichick heat there, but it then since then, now it's you keep hearing new names, not just Harbaugh, but Ray. I think Rabel might be there right now. Rabel is associated with them. Mike McDonald's associated with them. Raheem Morris is there. So, what would you predict right now? So I'm going to trend Belichick on this. I do want to say the Rabel thing. The Rabel thing is really funny because of who his presumed offensive coordinator hire would be if he was not in Atlanta. And that's Mr. Arthur Smith, who was just yeah. unceremoniously fired in the weirdest coaching tenure in the history of the sport. Um, well, I guess not urban, you know, non-Urban Meyer division, but it was just from a scheme standpoint. It's yes. Arthur Smith. who was just, it was just very strange. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to guess Belichick there. I just, I'm, I, it gives me a lot of pause when I think about bringing Joe Judge and Matt Patricia and just like, it breaks my football heart that he's just going to do Patriot way in Atlanta. And I just think that it would be much cooler if he went and just found a, a, a roster that had underachieved and just said, let me game plan week to week. Let somebody else yeah. pick the players. Let somebody else employ Joe judge. Let somebody else employ Matt Patricia. Um, I, I just, I, I don't like the idea of him, of him having, we just saw what him having unchecked power looks like at this point in his career. Yeah. I'll stick with that as well because none of the other teams make sense. I think it's either Atlanta or Belichick just takes the year off. The Mina Kimes show with Bill Belichick? <laughs> Why not the Belichick show with Lenny, huh? Um, okay, so along those lines then. So let's let's do that. Seahawks, Commanders, Panthers. Um, which of these three teams, Ben Johnson... Ben Johnson commanders, in my opinion, not commanders, Panthers. not Panthers. So someone floated to me the idea that like, what if Tepper just says, screw it, you know, 10 years, hundred million for Ben Johnson. You know, like, what if he just, what if he just decides to change the mm. paradigm? Cause there's no salary cap for coaches. As we know, I just don't think Ben Johnson is that, is that guy. He's never coached. I love Ben Johnson. I spent some time with him in Detroit when I was doing that Dan Campbell piece, but like, I, I, I it makes more sense for him to go with Adam Peters be with the commanders, good ownership there. The bar, as you mentioned earlier in, in Philadelphia, the bar is hell in, in Washington. It, it's just, a better just, job. Yes, it's a better no job. They're, they're starting over. There's going to be patience. Um, mm. um, I'd rather have Washington. I'd rather have Washington. I just feel like there's been so much buzz with the Panthers and him for so long, and there's going to be, it's just going to be so much money. 
That's my guess. So I, I'm going to put him on the Panthers, but that's not what I would do. <laughs> I'm just uh, trying to predict here. So where does that leave Rabel then? Would you Seattle? So, Seattle? Yes. So is that too Pete like? Are they trying to get away from Pete? I don't or know. Are they just trying that's, to get new Pete? I think that's that's the question. I don't know. Um, it does make sense. I could see it a hundred percent, and I do think he would go. Uh, I, I I think he um, could oversee oversee the improvement of the off defense. Pardon me, which is the worst part right now. But um, just definitely some similarities there. But yeah, we can do that. High energy, so, loves to be in like drills, like just just a a, a guy who believes. I mean, he has certain. If, Vrabel having spent a little time with them for that piece of the summer is more modern than we think. I think that there's, there's, it's almost like, it's like almost like he's, he's uh, a better player, player version of Dan Campbell, where it's just like, he gives off this persona because he's got the, the scruff on his face and he kind of plods around that people think he's just kind of a, a, yeah, you know, motivator meathead. He has a very defined vision of football that is going to come across in these interviews and it's going to probably surprise people if they've never worked with him. Yeah, I could. I, I, I've spoken about this. His game management, his knowledge of the roles, the, um, you know, he he is progressive in certain ways that I think might appeal to ownership there. Um. Okay. Well, so I'm gonna go ahead and I'll throw out. I'll say if Belichick doesn't go to Atlanta, I think Mike McDonald is the hire there out of Baltimore. Mm. Um. But if Mike he, McDonald's kind of on the road to getting shut out here, so he might be, and this might be a timing thing, right? I would first of all, I'm I like Dayball Dayball with Buffalo a couple years ago, where he just kept, they kept winning to the point that he just kept coming back. Um, McDonald would be my pick for Seattle. I just want to put that out there. That would be my favorite hiring option. But anyways, this leaves the Panthers. Um, I feel like the Panthers. So again, I had Ben Johnson there. Is there anyone else that you would say? Might go there. Evero, who who interviewed there on yeah. Wednesday. Um, I have a question, and this has not been even I've never even seen an interview with him this cycle. What happened to Luana Rumo, who all he was doing was building amazing game plans every single week, almost got the Arizona job last year. Um yeah. I, I it just seems like some cycles just guys just don't have any buzz, and I just don't really know what happened there. I wonder it, just the Bengals defense not playing well this year, just kind of lost some of the heat. I don't know. I don't, I don't know, I, but he's I wouldn't, a damn good coach. Yeah, he I wins, wouldn't. They win games they shouldn't win on defense. Um, the one thing about Carolina is the pool is always going to be bigger than than everybody thinks. Like Ben Johnson, who has a bunch of options, might not take it. But like I, I've talked to guys about this, like you're looking at like $30 million or something like that, yes. you know, get, get guaranteed. And it's like. Just take the job. Like I, yeah. I, I'll be a disgraced, you know, loser for the next ten years. It's fine. Just give this, me thirty million dollars, and I'll build a lake house. I feel like the Panthers. I'll just say one final thought: could be the out of left field hire, like Dave Canales, or someone who, like a fast riser. Who I mean, I guess Callahan is someone I would probably put in that category. But like Dan Campbell was this guy a few years ago, where when the Lions hired him, and everyone was like, "Whoa, that came out of left field." And I think Carolina. When I look at these the remaining teams, that's the one that strikes me as potentially a spot for a coach who surprises everyone. I uh, went to Brian Billick's house one time, and it's a beautiful house, eastern. Uh, I don't know if it's the eastern shore or not, but it's on some river in, in near Baltimore, like in farmland Baltimore. Most, it's probably the most beautiful house I've ever been at. And it's like there's horses, there's a boat there. 
And he just looks around and he's, I'm with him and he just goes, you know what this is? And I said, what? And he says, this is a head coaching buyout. And I said, that's perfect. <laughs> oh, man. Someone, someone should get paid a lot of money to work there. I'll just say that. Whatever you what, get, get, get whatever you Buy get me out of My life goal is to be good enough to get a, like a huge GM job and bad enough to immediately get fired ethically. Uh, you know who I, I also, speaking of Manorimo, I kind of, I, maybe he's just going to want to be a coordinator for life. Steve Spagnolo, who mm. has been so good and so yeah. good this year. And that brings me to the game. So let's talk uh, Chiefs Ravens. Yeah. Please. Uh, so this game's awesome. I'm very excited for it. Uh, I, let's start on the Spag side. Uh, Lamar versus the Chiefs defense. Chiefs defense is yeah. very good, which makes this game very fun. They're better than the Houston defense. They're good at certain things that uh, the Ravens do well. Um, one of the things they're not good at though, unfortunately is stopping the run. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, they're not only not good at stopping the run, they're not good at stopping the run in ways that the Ravens are very good at running the football. Uh, the Ravens love running out of the gun, second highest rate in football. When they do so, they have the fourth highest success rate. They love spreading things out. And the Chiefs have the sixth worst success rate in the NFL against runs out of the gun. Mm. Um, I think, you know, it was they didn't have Derek Nottie in the last game, but yeah. Buffalo basically ran on them at will. Uh, do you anticipate Baltimore having any difficulty running the football on Kansas City? I don't. Um, but I also think, I mean, I saw some theories on a, a couple – pages uh a couple of stories this week and a couple of podcasts from really smart people that basically um they were okay funneling the run a little bit and just saying okay bills you can you can run on us a little bit just don't let josh allen beat us um and so i saw a little bit of that um i i don't that the naughty thing obviously played a huge part in it i think that this comes down to a couple of things here um number one is just talking about the Chiefs defense and the Ravens offense, mm -hmm. um, how good Lamar has been under pressure this year. And we yeah. saw it a little bit last week where uh, it was basically two different halves. Everybody was like, oh, what did Lamar say at halftime? What happened at halftime is that Lamar started getting the ball out quicker. Um, it was just a completely different uh, style of offense. But under pressure this year, and we know he'll be under pressure in this game, and, and the entire season turned on Chris Jones creating pressure on Josh Allen and putting Deion Dawkins in his lap on that Shakir pass um, in the fourth quarter. But Yards per attempt leader in the NFL under pressure, Lamar Jackson threw only one pick, third best rating. Um, and then he picked them apart with quick game stuff. Um, and so I think that's that's where this game is won and lost is Lamar's ability to play under pressure. I think the run the running stuff is is gonna be fine. I'd I'd much rather yeah, I'd much rather have them run on me than have Lamar Jackson pick me apart, frankly. You have to pick mm. your poison a little bit. And I'd rather devote resources to making sure Lamar Jackson doesn't doesn't murder me. Yeah. I think that's the approach that they'll take. I think and this I realize saying this about Steve Sagnolo is like me saying my baby is going to cry, you know, within the next two hours. My baby's I think he's literally crying in the next room right now. It's so loud nobody can hear it. I can't hear it. Uh he's gonna blitz him. And it's the right thing to do. Uh, yes. We saw, I mean, even though, to your point, Lamar and Todd Munkin basically solved it in the second half, it's still very clearly what you should do against Lamar Jackson because against the four-man rush, he had the best QBR in football yep. last year. What struck me is 
against the four-man rush, when the four-man rush gets pressure, his QBR was even higher, which yeah. never happens. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of reasons for that, one of which is that he is very, very hard to contain with the four-man rush. And if the four, if someone actually does get pressure, he's very likely to break the pocket. Um, against four-man rushes that got pressure, he had 37 carries for 274 yards. The NFL. So if you blitz him, Kevin, at least then you're getting in his rushing lanes, um, which again, we saw Houston do with success in the first half last week. First half. Yeah. And, and the chiefs have generated uh 64% of, excuse me, generated pressure on 64% of their blitzes, which is third highest in the NFL. They blitz at the fifth highest rate, um, 40% over the course of the regular season. So there will be, there will be blitzes. Um, and he is worse against the blitz but he's not bad by any means i mean you yeah. just you just mentioned the numbers like it's not like it's his kryptonite or something it just it turns him into slightly more mortal which is not particularly like he is playing like a god right now um and like i i was stunned to see the other day um that first of all intermediate passes he has broken the record in the next gen era of 11 um touchdown passes and he broke his own record like that's <laughs> he is he is the king right so now cool. of the intermediate pass yeah. And you mentioned the the legs thing. Um, I, I was surprised to learn that he's the first player ever to be in the conference championship game, leading his team in passing yards and rushing yards. This is literally mm -hmm. unprecedented. Um, this is this is he's playing as well as anybody. And my my theory on this is that the record against the good teams, right? Um, the, the unprecedented, you know, two touchdown wins against uh, nine teams with winning records. Like it's because when he's at his best, he's impossible to stop. And what's yeah. funny is the only other person I can describe like that on the offensive side of the ball is Mr. Patrick Mahomes. Uh, well, we'll get to that in a second. Um, but yeah, I, I think what I'm curious to see is the types of blitzes they throw at them. Yes. Uh, Steve Spagnuolo is, you know, is diabolical. Is, diabolical is like a word I, see, I only use to describe blitzes. I don't know why, but whenever... Or I guess like when he did the two to one to two thing in the yeah. wildcard round, I was like, that's diabolical. <laughs> but um, and, and 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 not just blitzing, you know, blitz the run, I think, is something that we'll see from them. Um, I think they'll I, yeah. I, I, I one thing that I think is going to be a pretty significant theme in this game, Kevin, though, is when they don't blitz, they'll show blitz, which is something the Ravens yes. obviously do with their simulated pressures. The Chiefs do it too. They did it against Buffalo a lot where they would show five or six guys in the line. Guys would drop out. That's something I think Steve Spagnuolo will do a lot in this game. Um, the problem is just when you do all of these things, someone has to have eyes on the quarterback. Willie Gay got hurt uh, got against hurt. Buffalo. Huge. And that I think was quietly huge because I think he is the guy who they like to um, spy the quarterback and I probably yeah. what they would plan for Allen. So I think that's something that you have to coordinate as well. And I mean, that's just the yeah uh, kind of the, the math problem of playing Lamar Jackson is you have to do everything right, but then you also have to account for the fact that you're playing 11 on 11, you know, and, and it's just nightmare. Uh, so first of all, diabolical is a blitz <clears throat> that you didn't see coming. If you see it coming, if it just looks like a blitz yeah. pressure is coming and then it comes, that's called dialing it up. That's Ooh. when you dial it up. Um, other thing I want to say that's huge in this matchup that I think is an, been an underrated storyline looks like small sample size. Ronnie Stanley might be back. Oh, <laughs> he was, was on a, he was, he was on a heater except for when Lamar yelled at him. <laughs> he, 
who did not allow a pressure, cost 23 pass blocking snaps yeah, over the weekend, according to Next Gen Stats, 74 run blocking grade. He was the weak link for parts of this season. And if yeah. he's just back, that is huge news in a game like this. Agree. Yeah, especially because um, the Chiefs love lining Chris Jones up at edge on key money downs. That's something I think we'll probably see a fair amount in this one, again, especially with the way Lamar runs um, and how how strong the interior of that Ravens offensive line is. They're just really, really good. I feel like kind of lost in this, to your Ronnie Stanley point, is how good the Ravens offensive line is. Like, you know, we talk about Lamar under pressure and being blitzed and stuff. He's rarely pressured because they're amazing. They're the better offensive line in this game, especially with uh, Joe Tooney potentially out, which I saw oh today. God. And it's so massive. Massive. Yeah, because let's let's okay. switch to the other side. It's massive uh, because the in you know the interior of the Ravens' defensive line is freaking awesome. That was actually. One of my biggest takeaways uh, watching them last week against Houston is, holy smokes, those defensive tackles balled out. Matabuike, Travis Jones, uh, nope. Broderick Washington, Michael Pierce, who had the nope. very humorous rep where he chased CJ Stroud all the way to the oh, sideline. Boy. He's like 350 oh pounds, dude. They are so good. So if the Chiefs are down, I guess it would be Nick Allegretti starting guard. I mean, he's experienced, but this is not the defensive line you want to be missing interior offensive line against. Daquan Jones and Ed Oliver combined for zero pressures last week. And Joe Tooney, I think, was the primary blocker on like mm. nine of those pass reps. Um, Joe Tooney is unbelievable. And I remember talking to somebody uh, and we were uh, with the Chiefs a couple of, of months ago, and we were talking about some players disappearing. And they're like, you know what? These guys are getting the Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey treatment. And like, no one, he literally, this guy from the Chiefs literally was like, you guys don't talk enough about that. Like, you talk about Mahomes and you say he's inevitable and Kelsey just got to get it right. And it's like, actually, we have guys just putting guys in the in the pockets of the, the, of the Chiefs linemen. Um, and so the Tooney thing would be absolutely massive. Um, I wanted, I do want to say, I, I saw this somewhere that Michael Pierce was running at 15 miles per hour uh, on that particular. <laughs> run which is just absolutely insane um that should not 345 pounds guys wait well wait here's the stat it's via michael lopez who works at the nfl league office it is the second fastest he's reached this year okay 15 15 miles per hour flat the equivalent pace over a mile would break the four minute mile stop he's the roger banister defensive lineman (laughs) if he was able to maintain that pace for a mile which i don't think yeah, is probably, possible probably not probably not but michael pierce would have broken do would be, you would be roger banister I, I asked this question not knowing if you run at all do you think you could beat michael pierce in a mile foot race i think i could i, I run think, though every day yeah i haven't run in a long time um I, <laughs> I used to run the central park loop every morning and back then like 2015 michael pierce and i i was <laughs> I don't, I think because I don't even, I'm not even sure I have a fitness advantage on him right now um, because I don't do endurance sports. So I would guess that Michael Pierce would probably beat me. Two miles. There's not anything. Probably. I could pull away at some point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I don't know if there's a sport Michael Pierce could lose to me at, depending on if he can ice skate because I'm I'm actually, I was a pretty good youth (laughs) hockey player. Get in the Uh, rink. Get in the rink, Pierce. (laughs) 
Um, it's very hard to find weaknesses in this Ravens defense. I was just kind of playing around with numbers, looking at the mm-hmm. games where they struggled. The one game that uh, comes to mind is the Rams game, but that game basically went back in my notes. Uh, Stafford went super Saiyan on them. <laughs> so, yeah. which by the way, Patrick Mahomes is clearly capable of doing. My point is though, it wasn't like they like found uh, explicit weakness. The one thing, a couple things, they did run on them successfully. That first drive against them in particular where they were just smashing duo. Uh, and the Ravens do like to play light and they play a lot of quarters. And I think if you can run the ball um, with a power running game, you can you can knock them back a little bit. And then Stafford was killing them on crossers. He went five mm-hmm. for six for 90 yards versus man coverage. Uh, so we might see a, a steady rushy rice uh, diet of crossers in this game. But like, you know, when you break it out, runs different types of receivers play action short intermediate deep the Ravens defense is really good at everything uh yes and that's why I think you wonder if if there's a good game plan whether if there's a good game plan this weekend there will be whether or not Mike McDonald makes a late charge for one of these marquee jobs I'm that's what I'm interested in seeing because there's not a lot of weakness personnel wise the scheme is really good um the the pressures the inventiveness the just the energy Mike McDonald um, have I told you the Mike McDonald story? You have a Mike McDonald story about, about the ringer. The ringer. So I met, uh, the ring. So I met Mike McDonald for the first time like two years ago, and he's like, oh, "I love." He knew who I was, and I was like, "I love." He lo- he said, "I love the ringer," and I, I was like, "All right, here we go. All right, let's uh, let's do some <laughs> Kevin Mike. Clark appreciation, Big Mike." And uh, and so we started talking, and he's like, "You know, I just I just meant like the Game of Thrones stuff." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's humble. Yeah, he's locked on Ruben and Concepcion. <laughs> Not well, necessarily locked on. Does Valerie on. Ruben, who's a massive Ravens fan, know this? She does. That's, I, that's, I, I, was, uh, I alerted her to that immediately. Yes. That's really big. That's yeah. good. Good for she, her. I'm happy for he's her. He's locked in on the fantasy stuff. Uh, <laughs> the, fantasy, the fantasy novels, not the fantasy football. Okay, I I like can you imagine? I lied. There is one thing that I I was so I wanted to see how the Ravens did versus teams that use 12 and 13 personnel because the Chiefs do use a lot of 12 and 13. Mm-hmm. We saw that in the last round. The that was very deliberate against a Bills defense that was missing literally every linebacker uh and they were like, "Okay, we're going to come out with our tight ends and run the ball." Uh but actually the Ravens are average against offenses that have multiple tight ends on the field. Um and so then I dug in a little deeper trying to figure out what was going on. So uh, part of the reason was they, they play them a lot with base, as defenses mm-hmm. tend to do. And when they're in base, they're 22nd in EPA per play. When they're in nickel, however, that jumps up to fifth. That's a Kyle Hamilton stat, folks. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, I think for the Chiefs, you know, if you can um, – you, you ideally, if you, if, you, if you run – I would say running the football – out of those looks so that you can get Kyle Hamilton Hamilton off of the field should be a goal in this game. I was listening to a gambling podcast this morning, no big deal. And uh, they were all talking about hammering the Kyle Hamilton MVP, a Super Bowl MVP bet, which I, uh, I loved that. I love that Kyle Hamilton, Super Bowl MVP. Just start the buzz now. Wow. That's I, I mean, it's, mm, God, the odds for that are going to be amazing because, okay, I have to say, if I had to rank them right now, it's going to go Lamar as obviously the top favorite. 
Will there be an offensive player? Wait, do, are we doing? Are we doing just the Ravens? Or we're doing yeah, all just the Ravens. Teams? We're not doing all okay, teams. Okay. If That'd the Ravens amazing. make it to the Super Bowl, yeah, imply, right. it'd be funny to imply that. Yeah, yeah, okay, go ahead. But that's the thing about the Ravens; they don't have like a clear like number one. I guess Zay Flowers will probably. But if Zay be Flowers, if Zay Flowers had a huge game, it would just go to Lamar. Yeah, yeah. So I don't Lamar like any. Do I don't like any player other than Lamar. After that, you're looking at Roquan and Kyle. I think they're kind of the two yeah. biggest. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, I think that th this is the side of the ball I'm really interested in seeing because I think Mike McDonald's, uh, uh, and this is what is so impressive about him, he has absolutely bulldozed the Shanahan offenses. This is not a Shanahan offense, and this is not a quote-unquote Shanahan quarterback. Uh, this is much more similar to the Rams game that I talked about in terms of like mm -hmm. the you know the type of opponent you're facing. Now the Rams have significantly better wide receivers than the Chiefs. I don't want to, you know, be, pretend like the Chiefs have an Akua on their hands. Although Rice is pretty good, man. So, but I do think I'm I'm curious to see how McDonald approaches Mahomes. I'm curious to see how Mahomes handles all the simulated stuff. Um, and yeah, I I am I'm picking the Ravens. I've ridden the Chiefs all the way to the championship, even when the world had turned on Patrick Mahomes. I bravely stood by the, quarter, the greatest quarterback in the history of the sport. Uh, but my ride ends here, Kevin. I think the Ravens are a wagon. I think they're too good on both sides of football. I was going to pick the Chiefs until this Joe Tooney thing. That's the one, the great, one of the really? greatest, one of the greatest uh, regrets of my professional life is not seeing the Bucks blowout coming of the Chiefs when they just lost too many. Offensive too many linemen, yeah. offensive linemen. And it was literally the biggest discrepancy in pressures, I think, in the history of football, where as far as how many times Brady got yeah. pressured versus versus Mahomes. And I just now am just hyper alert when I see like, oh, wait, there's a nasty defense interior pass rush yeah. going against a guy with a pec injury. And I, I, I don't I do not love that one bit. One of the greatest regrets of your professional life, really? <laughs> well, as far as picks go, I don't. I what other regrets do I have professionally? It's literally uh, getting that game wrong. <laughs> I, I, I too, I too, I too regretted uh, not being an offensive line respecter enough in that game. Uh, I will not make that mistake this time. Well, I mean, the Chiefs' offensive line is good, but I, I, I'm, I'm a Ravens respecter through and through. Sticking with the Ravens. All right, coming the back. Story, the story about Brett Veach finding. Mahomes in the elevator after the game and being like, I'm going to fix the offensive line. Like just know that when that happens, that you've made a mistake when you picked the chiefs going into the game, just know that. All right. Uh, let's take a quick break. Come back and do lions Niners. Why should you bet with Caesar Sportsbook? Two words, Caesar's rewards. Every bet brings you closer to the types of benefits only Caesars can offer. Hotel stays, VIP experiences, sports and concert tickets, and more. It's not just a nap, it's an empire. 21 and older must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Utah, and other states were prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Ohio, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537. Or in Maryland, visit MDGamblingHelp 
gamblinghelp.org. West Virginia, visit 1800gambler.net. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, D.C., Nevada, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, if you or a loved one is experiencing problems with gambling, please call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org for 24-7 support. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. Okay, we are back. The Lions traveling to San Francisco to play the 49ers. Uh, I'm glad we got this matchup because as after everything shook out in the NFC, the Cowboys and the Eagles both melting down, Lions obviously being the Bucks. I think the, the Lions were clearly the team, I guess outside of Green Bay, mm-hmm. uh, best equipped to actually make this an interesting football game. I think that because partly because of what we saw from Green Bay. So let's start there with the side that I think is going to be the most competitive in this game. They can run on it, man, because this Niners defense, not great uh, at stopping the run. We have talked about this all year long, yeah. but boy, uh, it was on display in the Packers game. Let me pull up some stats. I mean, it, it's, it was very predictable. Like it was literally, yeah. if you listen to this NFL podcast and any other NFL podcast, I'm sure everyone said the same thing, which is, oh, this Niners run defense. Don't know about that, Jim. Okay. Well, it proved to be true. Oh, in it was the- an awful Romo. That was an awful Romo. Okay, let me try that again. Was that the greatest regret of your professional career? <laughs> no, that's uh, doubting Josh Allen ahead of the draft. Oh, lobby. yeah. Mm-hmm. This Niners run defense. I don't know about that, Jim. Okay, that's the last time. I'll try it. Never again. Uh, Aaron Jones <laughs> yeah. wrecked them in yes. this game. Wrecked them very uh, predictably, as I said. Uh, on runs outside the tackles, nine and a half yards per carry. That was, of course, included the uh, 52-yard run, I think. Um, a lot of those runs were in the direction of Chase Young who was getting blocked down by Niners or Packers skill players. That was sort of a theme in this. Uh, the Packers running basically pin pull, little toss plays to uh, Aaron Jones with their receivers like Wicks and Watson just mm-hmm. blocking down Niners pass rushers, could not set an edge to save their life. No reason to think the Lions can't do the same no. thing on the ground, Kevin. They're going to have to add a necessity. Like that's that's the way it's going to go. Because what is Jared Goff good at? In breaking routes, middle of the field. What what do the Niners have? They have Fred Warner and they have Dre Greenlaw. There's a stat called stops on pass plays, which is exactly what it sounds like. Just basically uh, making the defense fail after they completed a pass. Dre Greenlaw is second in the NFL in stops on pass plays. Fred Warner is right behind him. Warner is first in the NFL in, in INTs um, for <clears throat> with four. Uh, Greenlaw had two, and he has two dropped INTs this year um, overall. Obviously, we saw what he did last week. Um, and so the middle of the field is not going to be open. So you're going to have to try something else. That's going to be that's going to be runs. Um, that's going to be using that offensive line, which is your strength in Detroit, to your advantage. Um, I don't know how much we want to see Jared Goff under pressure. I mean, this is not you know Kyle Long had the best analogy of all time about um, 
about Mahomes on my show last week. We were talking about how Mahomes like a jujitsu fighter where he knows his weakness in the offensive line and he knows how to use that against you. Goff, to me, he just wants to get rid of the ball quickly. He does not want to be out there being an acrobat um, or a jujitsu fighter, as, as it might, might be. Um, so it's going to be quick passes and it's going to be runs. And I don't know if they're going to be able to do the things they'd like to do. So it's it's going to be runs and it's going to be uh, aggressive, hopefully aggressive play calling um, as far as fourth downs, you know, positive game script, that kind of stuff, and then go from there. Well, that, it, that actually... I do think it's worth um, hitting the fourth down aggression because I think because of those runs, it matters a lot. I think it's more likely than not that we will see Dan Campbell's Detroit Lions play for fourth down call plays with the goal and, you know, for crossing midfield of getting using all four downs uh, in part because that is their identity. That is, you know, like what they do, but also because, the Niners are not good at stopping the run. In fact, um, they have allowed they allowed this season the highest conversion rate on short yardage runs in the NFL. So if I'm Dan Campbell, I am once I cross midfield, I am like, we just got to get to fourth and one or fourth and two because yep. we got a pretty good shot. And yep. I know that on the other side of the ball, which we'll get to, little dicey. Little dicey. Little we want to stay on the field. We want to score points. So I actually think yep. it is worth stressing that. Campbell's aggression, which he has stuck to all year long, Mm -hmm. is an advantage in this football game. Completely agree. So I actually know the sort of superhero origin story of the Campbell fourth down thing, which is he used to be a very conservative coach, very Parcellsian. You know, he was a blocking tight end. Didn't didn't have a lot of uh, big picture analytic views. Worked under Sean Payton in New Orleans. And he said, uh, this is when we met in his office a couple of years ago. He said, Sean Payton would go for it on fourth down a lot, obviously. And not only that, he was liable to do anything. He was liable to throw the ball 30 yards down the field on, on fourth and one. And he said he looked at the defense, and they were petrified. They were scared. <laughs> and he was like, I want to do that to defenses. Like, you know, it's like 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 yeah. being conservative is like, oh, phew, they're going to punt. And he was like, oh, wait, these guys are crapping their pants because Sean Payton is running a fourth down play. And I thought that was the funny because it's like it's a mixture of trusting your gut and analytics, right? Where you're just yeah. like, oh, these guys are terrified. Perfect. And so it's very it's a very Campbell way to come. Great unifier. He's the great unifier. He's the unifier of the nerds and the jocks. I've been saying he is the one, the prince who was he's promised. He's the one. He's the prince who was promised. And um. <laughs> And and so I don't think. By the way, Mike McDonald would love would love uh, any sort of Prince of Promise. It would just all sorts of. I think he might be a Harry Potter guy. I'm gonna look into that. Um, I forget which which of the books he was into. Um, but yes, I completely agree with you. And on the defensive side, like, is Aiden Hutchinson's like supernatural yeah. pass rush win so. rate and his pressure rate is that enough to carry them right now? Because you know, we had Seth Walter on the show earlier today, and he was talking about how like the, he's basically doubled his pass rush win rate in these playoffs. He's playing out really? of his mind, but like. That's it. Like he, mm-hmm. I think that that Hutchinson tripled up anybody else in the team of pressures this year. He's a one man band and short, it's small sample sizes that can work, but not against the Niners. No. Yeah. Th- it's so important to this game, by the way, on the other side of the football, because I, the, the, the Lions defense is not good. Sorry. They're good against the run. They're very good against the run. Um, and you saw that last round, but uh, first of all, San Francisco is a very different kind of run game. I'll be curious to see though, which from Shanahan's perspective, um, knowing that the Lions are so vulnerable to the pass and so good against the run, if he trusts the – he should. And I think he will trust the quarterback to win and the his incredible skill players, uh, regardless of whether Debo plays. We'll get to that in a second. But as far as the pressure goes, 
Um, you know, one thing Aaron Glenn did really well in the last round was uh, deploying his DBs as blitzers, right, mm -hmm. against Baker Mayfield. And unfortunately for him, uh, Brock Purdy has been very, very good against D blitzes. In fact, the best DB blitzes, the best in the NFL, QBR of 97.7 this season. That strikes me as dangerous. Um, so you're going to need Aiden Hutchinson to actually get pressure. He does have an easy matchup, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. The Niners offensive line is yep. outside Trent Williams. Not that great, particularly weak at right tackle where Aiden Hutchinson likes to line up. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see some wins there. So for Brock Purdy and company, the priority is just, you know, get the football out quick. Let your playmakers win in space because they should. And that's even without Debo, Kevin. Like, let, let's talk about that. How, yeah. how right now, as of this taping, 50-50 uh, didn't practice sort of positive language, I, not enough for me to get a really good read on him. What do you think about that? And and how important do you think he is in this game? So our, our, our friends at ESPN Analytics have done a lot of research on the wide receiver position and what it what it looks like and what matters. And they said that basically Debo Samuel broke the scale of yards after catch a couple of years ago to the point that they have to <laughs> recalibrate. And they really do coach those guys. I remember Kittle telling me basically Embry, the tight ends coach a couple of years ago, was like, hey, just stay in bounds and just like, run at guys and good things will happen. And Kittle was like, come on, man, you're, you're going to, you're, you're BS me. And they've started to do it. And it's like, oh, cool. We can, it does work. Why not every three times it's an arm tackle or somebody falls down, whatever. They, they coach their guys to break tackles. Having said that, the number one guy who's as good as CD lamb, according to ESPN analytics at getting open in the NFL is Brandon Ayuk. And from what I understand with analytics, it's a lot better to be the open guy than the yak guy. And so Brandon Ayuk is actually the valuable guy, the, the most valuable part, I think, um, if you look at some of the numbers here of, of the offense. Um, that's the guy that you can still overcome stuff with. That's mm -hmm. not even to mention Kittle and, and McCaffrey. And so um, the, the, whole, the whole ecosystem works together. I mean, the best player on the offense is Trent Williams. And a lot of times um, we don't really know, especially when these systems are so well run, especially like if Kyle and some of these other guys have the tendency to, to say to trust the system so much, they'll go to the backups in the same way they'll go to the starters. And it will just kind of be running your head against the wall kind of thing. Um, I think they're going to be good because they still have a lot of talent. Kyle is going to have a week to understand that he's probably not going to have Debo. I'm okay with this whole process. He's still got skilled guys. Christian McCaffrey, I saw most touchdowns in the NFL against two high shells this year. Um, I'm not, I'm not too worried about the Niners going in without Debo. I'm not either just because I don't think the lions have answers for all three of the remain, the big four, like maybe. Okay. So let's say Brian yes. branch, you put Brian branch who I think is their best TB already. Let's say you put him on McCaffrey and McCaffrey's um, a wide receiver. Then who's on Kittle and Ayuk and like, can you cover both of them? I don't kind of don't think they can. Um, I think for, San Francisco, you don't have to be explosive in the past game. You can, but you don't have to. That ball can come out quick, and you can just beat those guys, those linebackers yeah. all day long, all day long. I think uh, the Lions will probably play with a lot of stack boxes, as they do a lot of single high. There's just going to be opportunities, those voids in you know zone that Kyle's so good at finding over the middle of the field. I just the I, I and I've I've said this probably a million times when it comes to the Niners and Brock Purdy. It really your only chance I think is pressure, and it comes back yep. to what we were talking about with Aiden Hutchinson. He has to have like more than anyone. He has to have the game of his life for me well, to think one million percent. One million percent. I also think that when we talk about being able to get away with Debo not being in the game, or if he's 
50% and still plays, that's a Lions specific thing. I don't feel good about that if they're playing against against Baltimore and the situation is still the same. That's just about winning this game, which I think they can win. I don't I think it'd be much more magnified if they play yeah. against Baltimore. Totally. Or agree. or Kansas City, obviously. So I'm I'm taking San Francisco. Me too. I do think Detroit can move the ball on them though. So I don't know what the line is. I haven't looked at it, uh, but I don't think it'll be a blowout. I do think, and and I, you know, I like, we, we talked about Dan Campbell and some of the advantages he brings. I complained enough earlier this week about Kyle Shanahan's game management, but that is something that is an ongoing concern of mine, especially against a coach that does use every down and is aggressive. Um, but I just is think- Is Dan Campbell a Zoomer? I think Dan Campbell transcends generations. Oh. I he is the closest thing we have in the NFL to someone with universal appeal to me. Maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like everyone likes him. Like and uh, you know, maybe not people who are playing the Lions, but like players like him, journalists like him, nerds like him, film guys like him, jocks like like it, he really seems to be the most popular person in football at the moment. When I was doing that story, Ben Johnson told me that Dan Campbell never has to yell at him because he's only motivated by not disappointing Dan Campbell to not let him down. <sighs> Should Dan Campbell run for president? Would he win? 50 state electoral <laughs> sweep. <laughs> um, He's going to have a challenge. We'll see what happens with his coordinators. I think Aaron Glenn's been very impressive with, you know, that defense has some issues with personnel, but which is ultimately probably the biggest reason why I'm picking San Francisco in this one. I just think in the back end, there's just too many corner. I mean, the not the Lions cornerbacks and, you know, it's not great. They're going to have to pick Purdy off. Hutchinson's going to have to go crazy and they're going to have to score a lot of points. And you know what? It could happen. We just saw the Niners offense struggle. And I think we both like the, uh, the matchup on the other side of the football. I think both these games will be good. Let's wrap here, Kevin. I, I don't think this is famous last words before a blowout, but I like how these teams match up. I think we as football fans lucked out. I think that I was thinking about this earlier today. I don't want to, I don't want to overstate this because I'm going to qualify it. I think there's a possibility that Ravens chiefs is the best game we've ever seen. <laughs> so it's the first game in history of two under 30 MVPs playing each other into the playoffs, any playoff wow. game, not just the conference championship game. Um, it's two quarterbacks who, as I said earlier, are when they're at their best, are literally unstoppable. And then on the defensive side of the ball, there's guys like that too, like Chris Jones. Dude. Like there's so many blue chip guys who are literally unguardable, unblockable, whatever position they play, you can't defeat them at. There's guys like that on every side of the ball, including the most important position in sports. Coaches are great. The coordinators are great. We might look back on this and say, I can't believe this talent was in one place at one time. If this is not a stone cold classic, Lenny will give you your money back. 21 to seven incoming. No, I yep. agree. Uh, the quarterbacks are the obvious reason why both of these defenses play with a level of physicality. That is just a joy to watch. Like the Ravens on, you know, we, we, nerds focus so much on the uh, pressure simulated pressures and the creepers yep. and all this and they're rotating the but these dudes hit man they hit like and kansas city has probably the most physical dbs in the league sneed mcduffie 
So the likelihood of seeing both great quarterback play and like a lot of times with great games, I think of like that one, um, the Monday night game, the infamous Monday night game between the Rams and the Vikings. Was it? No, was that the Rams and know, the Chiefs? Rams and the Chiefs. Pardon me. <laughs> that was supposed to be the future of the NFL. And then, yeah, sorry. And then it the turns Chiefs, out the future course. of the NFL was 21 to 7 Desmond Ritter, Derek Carr games. The defense was not great. I think in this one, there you have the opportunity to see the rare combination of both great quarterback play and quarterback play and great defense. I I completely agree. Don't don't confuse 43 to 40 with a stone cold classic like this is going to be a different this could be this is going to be like 28 24 with some of the best performance on both sides of the ball we've ever seen coming down to maybe like a 63 yard justin tucker field goal he's still miss. my heart he's gonna miss <laughs> 63 yard miss how about when i abs before that drive called the bills yeah pick? okay wait i do want to yeah so we're texting during the bills chiefs game i don't have it in front of me but kevin at the beginning of the drive yeah, the final Bills I just, drive. I said yeah. they're going to miss the kick. Why did you send me that? What made you think that was going to happen? Uh, I thought that they were not going to, the way the defenses were playing, uh, the way the Chiefs defense was playing, the way they were generating pressure, I thought they were not going to get close enough for a good field goal. And then I thought the, the wind, weather. weather, the whole thing. And like Tyler Bass, like I should have been able to read the wind. And it's like, you can't read the wind. It's Buffalo. There's the pit there. Like the whole thing is just one big mysterious thing. I just saw that genre of drive coming. Bills fans, it's by Kevin Clark on Twitter. If you want someone to blame for what happened, because he, you, you announcers jinxed. Oh no, you didn't. You, you called it. No, I called yeah, it. Yeah, you called it. All right. Well, I knew too much. I hope I you're right about this game. A modern classic, he said. Previewing. That's Kevin Clark of This Is Football. Also, if you're in Vegas Super Bowl week, we are doing a live oh, yeah. show together with Dominic Foxworth and Bill Barnwell. Uh, it's on. It's that Thursday. I think tickets are still available at bit.ly slash Mina Fox. Come check it out. There will be food that's occluded. There will be merch. I have seen the merch. It is cool. It's very cool. What is it? What does it say? uh, It's a Mina Kime show featuring Lenny. It's a black Mina Kime show featuring Lenny cap. Beautiful. I think just just Foxworth merch too, if you want that. But don't I have one of those? Did you give me one of those? You have a tan one from the last okay. live show, and let me tell you, those are collectors' items. You probably sell that bad boy on eBay for like twenty bucks. How do you think I funded this beautiful office? <laughs> All right, thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you as always to the fine folks at Omaha, Kirsten Sobecki, Owen Sailor, Anthony Jimenez. We will see you guys next week. <laughs>